0: Welcome to OPG Inspired. My name is Robert P. Roach, your host, bringing you the latest in organizational development, strategic planning, and the tools you need to make a better world. Today, I had the opportunity to sit down with David Salinas, co-founder and partner at Digital Surgeons, a New Haven-based marketing agency focused on exploring and inventing ways for companies to connect and build relationships. David and his partner, Pete Senna, are on their way to creating the largest and most ambitious tech community hub in Connecticut. Aptly named District New Haven, this converted warehouse campus will cover nine acres and will include amenities rivaling a five-star hotel. In our conversation, I found that David has a fascinating background. Starting from humble beginnings on the streets of Queens, New York in the 80s, he has a unique perspective on what is truly important when running a company. His brand of leadership, coupled with a charismatic personality and a grand vision for the future, made for a pretty inspiring interview. With that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with David Salinas. We're live. David, thank you so much for sitting down with me my pleasure. Um, in this amazing space that I've just kind of recently walked through. Um, I want to start by uh, having you talk a little bit about your beginnings, um, where you come from. I know that your parents come from diverse backgrounds. Uh, and you were raised in Queens, New York. Um, uh, how was your childhood environment and, and where you grew up? Uh, overall, I would
1: say it was uh, good and bad. Um, the good was I had you know two great parents. I had a, a loving mother and a loving father, which I think is says more for you know is more than a lot of people have. Um, the bad side was that it was a predominantly uh, Blue-collar sort of neighborhood on the edge of of Brooklyn in a bad in a bad area with uh, a lot of crime, uh, mafia. It was you know New York City in the 80s uh, was pretty wild, and that made for a tough environment. Um, at the same time, I think that it gave me a, a second education and kind of gave me a street education, which was uh, is something that I. I kind of hang my hat on today because it gave me great intuition and it gave me um, uh, great skills that I don't think are taught in university, mm-hmm. in traditional educational mm-hmm. programs. So um, so I'm thankful for what I have today. It gave me the grit that I think that I have. Um, but uh, my to the point you made, it, it, my parents were diverse. My mother was uh, Ashkenazi Jew uh, from um, her family was from New York, originally from Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my father came over from South America, from Peru when he was 16 years old. And, uh, and he comes from a really interesting, interesting heritage. I just did my 23 and me, uh, DNA test a few years ago and found out that I'm, uh, 30 something percent Iberian and 7% native American, which is Inca, uh, and, uh, uh, three or four percent chinese and some northern and western african pretty i gotta try try that out pretty amazing (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah it was pretty amazing and i keep getting emails of of uh people that are related to me that are joining so it's uh it's pretty funny some of them i know and some of them i don't know because they
0: can connect you it's pretty it's pretty uh pretty interesting that's brilliant yeah um so in that environment uh you' know, you're just kind of getting on the scene in terms of uh, finding your way in life and what was uh, an earlier, or a first job that helped shape you into uh, the person that you are today
1: I always talk about my very 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 first job um, my very first real job because I used to I, I was a very smart student growing up in say elementary school I was I went to school for gifted kids uh, and then I transferred to a regular public school um, so I had jobs that they'd give to me in school to keep me out of trouble because I was misbehaved. But my very, very first job was when I was 12 years old, I got a job as a busboy uh, at a, a pizzeria in Queens. And it was a pizzeria, Italian restaurant. So they, in the front, they served pizza in the back. They had a full restaurant. And, uh, I was 12 years old and I got a job as a bus boy. And, um, that gave me my first exposure to, uh, diversity to, to people at scale, um, both on the, uh, wait staff cook, you know, the kitchen staff, Mm -hmm. uh, the difference between the dishwashers and the, uh, and the line cooks and the, and the chefs, uh, the owners, um, and then also the customers and, and and the diversity of the customers and that really started to shape me that that taught me a lot about dealing with people it taught, taught me a lot about reading people yeah. um, uh, selling sales business development I mean wait being a bus boy you're not supposed to do business development you're not supposed to sell um, but when you learned that I at my within the first two weeks I learned, that your that my pay was associated with the number of tips that the waitress and waiters were getting uh, and that the the tips that they got were, were was a uh, reflection of the size of the checks that they were getting the table to get and that was influenced by sales by wine by All food right. by specials uh, I Within two weeks, I was selling bottles of wine to people at a <laughs> as a busboy. <laughs> as a busboy, usually guilting people and, and just being cute because I was like the cute twelve year old kid, yeah. you know, that was walking over with a big bucket on his shoulder to, to to clean up tables, and I would just drop a quick line and ask some a guy, you know, I'd, I'd guilt a guy into buying a bottle of wine for for his uh, girlfriend or wife or companion, and uh, uh, you know, and 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 that led to you know a twenty dollar bottle of wine is an extra at twenty percent tip is an extra four dollars in tip and I get five percent of that four dollars. So I was always or or more because the waiters loved me because I was getting them more money. So they always took good care of me. So at twelve years old I was making, you know, fifty to a hundred bucks in a single night in four hours. And most kids were making at that time you couldn't get your you couldn't work till you were thirteen until you got your work permit. And Back then, I think minimum wage was around four dollars, four four ten, which was the average job that everybody had. So, you know, four hours meant sixteen dollars and forty cents, and to me, I'd make fifty to hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was killing it back it's not then. bad. So that was my that that was sort of my first, I'd say my the first job that really really
0: started me down a certain path. Now, I've seen a lot in a lot of your interviews that you have a lot of love for New Haven. And um, I want to ask how you originally got to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that uh, you, may, did you go to the University of Bridgeport? Mm-hmm, yeah. So um, it's a it's a crazy
1: but funny story. My brother, Paul, um, was, he had just recently graduated from, the, from Binghamton University in upstate New York. And he was a biology major there. And he came back from school. And I really hadn't spent a lot of time with him because he had been up there for pretty much his whole entire four years. He worked. He had a, a small company that he ran to make money while he was putting himself through school. And uh, he came home and asked me if I would take a ride with him to, uh, to Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I always make the joke. I asked him, where the hell is Connecticut? <laughs> and he told me 45 minutes past grandma's house, which is my grandmother lived in Whitestone, uh she lived excuse me she lived in Flushing near the whitestone bridge and uh I said all right, that's not a bad drive. You figure if there's no traffic on the Van Wick it's fifteen minutes to 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 the whitestone bridge twenty minutes max and then 45 minutes from there, I can deal with that. So we came to Connecticut, and I thought Connecticut was beautiful. Yeah. I really had gotten tired of New York City at, by that point. I grew up, even though I grew up in Queens where there are a lot of houses, most of the houses are on top of each other, and I didn't live in them. We lived in buildings. Mm. So I grew up in a building my whole life. You know, two bedrooms. I don't even know how many square feet it was, but it was probably under 1,100 square feet if I had to guess, you know. Um, and, uh, and the environment you know, people constantly in trouble, this mafia influence, this criminal influence, um, this lack of wilderness and and lack of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really ready to move on past that. Uh, To be honest with you, I was ready to move on past that when I was 13. So now I'm in my, I think I was 18, almost turning 19, and I was really ready to go. So uh, I came and I was looking out the window of the library, of the sixth floor of the library at the the University of Bridgeport, and I thought it was gorgeous. I just saw the Long Island Sound and the trees. And yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, wow, it's beautiful here. <laughs> Little did I know at the time Bridgeport was pretty wild. Um, but that didn't bother me either when I found that out because to me I was like, how bad could it be in comparison to what I'm coming from? So um, that's how I got to Connecticut. And, and ultimately – I fell in love with everything that I saw, you know, whether it was uh, I lived in different places. I lived in Milford. I lived in West Haven. I lived in East Haven. While I was in college, I lived in different apartments. I'd get apartments because I really wasn't um, a student into student life and and dorm life and that kind of thing. I did the dorms for one semester, and I moved out very quickly. Um, I was already very independent by the time I started college, so it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me to, to, to be, you know, I don't know, student life is like keg stands and, and, and frat parties. And that I had done that at such a young age that right. by 18, 19 years old, I was way more mature at that point. So, um, uh, I was more into making money, you know, trying to earn a living and trying to, uh, to better myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then, some through this process, through a, n- a number of events, I found New Haven, um, and I'd say I love New Haven. I love Con- I, I love New Haven. I love Connecticut as much as I love New Haven. I'm trying to be very regional, a, b- a bigger regional thinker, a, b- a bigger state thinker, uh, than just a city thinker, because I think that's the big pro- big problem right now. But uh,
0: that's it's for another time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm here to talk about this big pro- this big project you're working on, District New Haven. Yeah. But I want to give our listeners a bit of context. On the company that we're sitting in right now in this room, which is called Digital Surgeons, yep. and you started that with your co-founder um, Peter. Peter, yeah, Pete. And um, so, tell me a little bit about you know what this company is, you know how your role relates to Pete's role, and and uh, sharing that leadership uh, with with another person. You know, where did that come from?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the company started in uh, eleven years ago. Uh, and at the time, it was very black and white. I was a uh, a marketing strategist and a business development guy, uh, and Peter was a creative, t- a creative and a technologist. Um, now, there really was no, there weren't many companies like us. There were companies that had parts of what we were trying to be, but no one had sort of brought them all together mm-hmm. and under one roof, and that was sort of. Uh, the first internet marketing, sort of digital marketing type businesses. Um, So we really were a yin and yang, which was, uh, I'm very, he's, I'm very intuitive, uh, very energy based. Um, He is very analytical. He's a a developer, a coder, an engineer, Mm -hmm. a designer. Uh, We have very two different, uh, um, very different personalities, Um, As the company has evolved, we really just focus on helping businesses drive demand, grow their businesses uh, within the realm of using design, using uh, digital insights, and uh, and using technology and enabling technology for companies. Um, so it's become more than marketing these days. It's become more than branding. It's become, uh, sometimes product innovation. Um, it's, it's almost hard to, 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 to explain. We've recently come to this conclusion that we design demand. We're actually trademarking that, uh, as we speak because we feel that, uh, that's what we do where we look at things from a very, uh, Design is a big word for us. It's yeah. not necessarily um, visual or artistic. It's it, it's it means lots to lots of people. Um, so we've kind of honed in on this thing of designing demand for businesses
0: and really driving them forward. And it seems like a lot of that drive comes from uh, a mentality of innovation and that you're trying to teach innovation to the companies that you're working with. So how do you jumpstart start? the concept or like the, the energy of innovation in someone new that you're working with you know where do you start well it's not i would say two things one is is, is it's not easy to do
1: it when they're not ready for it when they are ready for it it's usually when they either are in trouble mm-hmm. uh, or when there's a big leadership change or a, a new hire that's really pushing the envelope for that company you need that because people often fall in love with the way that things were done, right? There's, it, it's we're seeing that right now in the retail space. Malls are dropping like f- mall spaces are dropping like flies right now. Office buildings are dropping like flies because things are changing. And if you're not ready to accept that change, if you're if you're going to say you know, sort it's sort of like people, right? I, and I'm going to use myself as an example. I stopped going to the gym. St- what I thought was three months ago. And I realized yesterday when I went to talk to my trainer that it had been seven months, right? Because every, every day, every time I said to myself, Oh, you know, my body's starting to hurt. I feel like I'm getting fat, blah, 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 unhealthy, whatever you say, ah, one more day, right? Business people do the same thing. I'll do a new website tomorrow, next quarter, next year, I'll digitize my business i'll I will digitally enable my company i'll do uh you know i'll rethink my products i'll put some focus or some investment into that next quarter next year and before you know it, maybe amazon is you know sort of on your tail and about to swallow your your industry right yeah. and that happens at 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 the speed of light i mean if you look at the adoption of Uh, I was, I often tell people when, when we have these conversations, if you look at the adoption of, uh, uh, technologies like old technologies, like TV and radio, it took 30, 40, 50 years for the type of penetration that Facebook did in five, right? Right. 50 years done in five, uh, it's, it's incredible the scale that we're getting and, and the speed in which things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Currencies are being built overnight now into $20 billion currency, $20 billion currencies when you look at, say, Ethereum or Bitcoin or Litecoin or any one of the 500 cryptocurrencies that are out there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now J P Morgan's dedicating time towards it, and the banks, and IBM, and I just read a, about a cosmetic company that it's accept, that announced that they're accepting Bitcoin today. Uh, just this morning, I read that. So, but it's happening literally at the speed of light. You cannot keep up with it. So, uh, so often having to 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 teach that or to to drive innovation in another organization requires some either. Some leadership change, some devastating thing that's happened like, uh, you know, a massive loss in market share or a steep decline in revenue or profit Mm -hmm. or a loss of uh, recently we're hearing a lot about um, not being able to hire people. You t- there, there are companies out there, forget about small companies, let's just talk about big companies that have the resources, right? Small companies tend to not have the resources. Let's talk about big companies that have resources. There are multi-billion dollar companies that can't hire people because they're old, stodgy, and perceived as anti-innovation.
0: So in that in that world, where does district come in? So we've got uh, I'd love you for you to explain a little bit of what District New Haven is and what you think it may bring to your newly or your not so new adopted city of New Haven.
1: Mm-hmm. So let me back up a little bit. I think that all of these things, innovation, business, economy, all comes down to energy. I believe that businesses, I, I believe that people are energy Businesses are people and therefore businesses are energy. So I, I think that, that let's take it there for a second. District is a direct reflection of my last decade plus being inside of the city and state and realizing that we have a willingness to be something. We have a yearning to be something or someone uh, in the industry or in the, in the, in the, in the larger union and I think overall we have really bad energy because we've had a, a bad string of luck for the last couple decades in the state. Uh, you know, to, we, at one point Connecticut was everything in the United States and today it's become less and less. And I think that people have a habit of sort of picking at a scab instead of letting it heal and, and, and building, you know, and getting stronger. And I think that, uh, District is an answer to me for that problem. The number one thing that I hear when people talk about the state of Connecticut, the state of New Haven, and I'm going to make it bigger than New Haven. I'm going to say the state of Connecticut. The number one thing I hear is that uh, businesses complain that there's a lack of talent. I believe that to be false. We have the highest concentration of college students in the United States, or if not the highest, the second highest concentration within it within X miles. Mm-hmm. Just within New Haven alone, you've got five or six different uh, higher education schools. Mm-hmm. Yale, Quinnipiac, Southern, University of New Haven, Albertus Magnus, uh, Gateway. That's six right there. Expand that to within a 15 to 20 minute drive and you start to bring in Sacred Heart, University of Bridgeport, Fairfield. Yep. Yep. It's incredible. That's your young talent. We also have some of the most incredible inventors and engineers, period, in this, in this state, right? Years ago, they say Stanford became, you know, excuse me, they say uh, Silicon Valley became Silicon Valley because all the guys from NASA had gotten laid off and they had gone into different industries and so on and so forth. In Connecticut, you've got people that are building helicopters, and you know you had like Charlie Command, one of the greatest engineers uh, in the world. You know he built guitars that he, he built guitars that could amplify acoustic guitars that could amplify sound, uh, and he figured out how to remove the vibration from the, from the rotor of a helicopter so that there was no there was no vibration. He's here in Connecticut, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of talent to be had. I think that the biggest problem that we have is attraction. So marketing, attraction, uh, recruitment, and retention is an issue for people. And that comes down to energy, environment, workplace environment, um, uh, how you market yourself. People come here all the time. I hear from, uh, from people on my staff all the time that they're talking to friends or family, and they say where they work, and they're like, oh, my God, can you get me a job there? Yeah, yeah. You know, quite often they'll say that, you know, like, oh, my God, that place looks awesome and uh, something along those lines. So there's a vibe that people feel about who we are that maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but it, it creates an allure. We don't have any problem hiring. We get tons of resumes. Sometimes it's just a matter of finding the right match. So, so, so one, I think that the talent myth is nonsense. In fact, uh, just yesterday when we were talking, we had a marketing meeting about district and we we're talking about some, some of the social media, uh, messages that we want to put out there. Uh, there was recently an article, uh, where the, I believe it was the CFO of indeed.com, which is the largest, uh, internet job site in the world. Um, where they asked him, uh, he's doing a big investment in Connecticut. He's, he's adding more, uh, office space and so on. He said, Connecticut has the greatest talent pool, uh, in the he, the the greatest talent pool was his quote wow really yeah so you know here's a company who has hundreds of employees they're dominant in a very progressive in a very progressive industry the internet internet media jobs jobs and so on they see what job posting they they can see inside of what the job uh, industry is is doing and what's happening and he's saying that Connecticut's the place to be mm a company like that has the data to move anywhere in the world to get the best employees. Why stay in Connecticut? Right. Says something. Right. So I think that there's a myth there. Um, I also think that uh, outside of marketing recruitment, att- retention, um, I think that there's a misperception on uh, pay uh, on what people need to get paid to, to live. And when you look at what you're competing against, right, you com- let's just look at like the big guys. Facebook, you know Google. They're paying interns 50 Rand a year. Right. How are you going to compete with that? You have to find a way. Now the good news is not everybody wants to be in now the good news is not everybody wants to be there, but not everybody can afford to be there. San Francisco has outpriced everyone, right? New York City has outpriced everybody. So therefore, they, it becomes harder for them. So they're eventually going to have to fragment their offices and move into areas or subsidize people in some way or continue to raise the prices, which is going to be unsustainable, raise their salaries, which is going to be unsustainable for them. Uh, the other thing that those big companies do is they provide a workplace environment through design uh, and benefits and perks that... is very difficult to replicate when you're a small business mm-hmm. district creates a shared structure so that you can have a lot of those amenities and perks uh inside of for, with for your company at a reasonable cost uh because it's a shared structure uh, and therefore we solve that problem for people so that's what di- really the districts meant to offset the energy act as a recruitment retention attraction vehicle for companies. Yeah. Like I won't when digital surgeons moves there, I want people to stop to say, Oh, digital surgeons is a great company, but I really want to work at district. Right. Right. That's the game changer, right? So being at districts going to set the standard. Um, and, and, and that's what we set out to do. I always said, uh, you know, first and foremost, I want a new home for us, for our company, Digital Surgeons. Secondarily, second, I want to create uh, something for Connecticut to be proud of and New Haven to be proud of, um, to, to, to be best in class in something. And this is really what district is meant to be. Uh, and then third, obviously, I'm a businessman. So if I can do all of that, uh, provide a benefit to the community and,
0: and make a profit, then I've, 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 I've checked all the boxes. That seems like it's going to be a pretty collaborative community. I mean, everyone's going to be right next to each other, and it seems like it's going to be a lot of tech-savvy and kind of forward-thinking, innovative companies that will be in there. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. The goal is, um, so
1: by creating these, this shared amenity structure, by creating this campus environment, that's the key, right? It's not a building. You're not going to – the only place to meet people in a building is uh, on your floor, at your coffee machines – uh, or a water cooler or in the elevator right like The bathroom yeah <laughs> in the, exactly if you have a shared bathroom right. if you have the whole floor because you're uh you know if, uh, you have 15,000 square feet because you have a 100 person staff um you're not meeting anybody on your floor but the people inside your office right. um which is okay too because it, when you have a 100 people not everybody's going to know everybody right um but in a campus environment where it's sort of Expansive, and people can work outside. They can exercise outside. They can, you know, eat in different locations. They can uh, get, you know, get some uh, some clarity in different locations. Uh, those that the point of that is that it's going to create collisions. We talk about collisions a lot. In fact, if you look at our logo, uh, the D and the R have a uh, different connection point in the logo, mm-hmm. and that was done to demonstrate making connections in weird places. Uh, So that could happen for district. Just speaking of district specifically, we've got in the design two outdoor bocce courts. Uh, uh, We have outdoor ping pong tables. We have the restaurant, which is gonna be open all day long with a beer garden. uh, And the beer garden has community style tables. Uh, we have a, uh, a trail that's attached to our property that goes all the way down to the Sound. So you might meet someone who's a runner or that wants to walk the trail uh, uh, that uh, or something along those lines. We have uh, a kayak and a paddleboard launch that's going to be installed onto the river, onto the Mill River, uh, which you can go out to Long Island Sound on. Uh, you can... Do that for exercise. You can do that for yoga. You can do that right. for clarity. You can do that to go fishing. So maybe you're into fishing, and we're gonna grab some fl- some some bunker out of the out of the Mill River, and then we're gonna take we're gonna go out to the sound uh, to the harbor and catch some stripers together. And maybe that's what you're into. Uh, maybe you're from a different area where fishing is really big, and now you're here and you don't really know anybody to fish. And now we can make a connection, mm-hmm. so we can get so and it'll help people put some roots down uh which I think will solve for people often leaving uh the state of Connecticut or leaving the city, um, uh finding loved ones, finding compassion uh excuse me, some companionship. Uh that stuff will happen. We've got the gym, uh which is a full fitness facility, CrossFit yoga and spinning. Uh you can meet people there. There I say you can meet people in the locker rooms, mm-hmm. but you could, you know, mm-hmm. locker rooms are a place where people chat and, and whatnot. Um the co-working space, the media studio, the events that'll happen on the property, uh, all of those places are places for connections to have for for not necessarily tech people to meet other tech people, but if I'm not a really a tech person, I don't consider myself a tech person. I am a, I would say I'm tech enabled. I understand technology, I understand how it works. I, I don't write any I couldn't write a line of code if it if if it saved my life. I've done maybe 3 uh Uh, modules on codeacademy.com and HTML. (laughs) But I understand the power of technology and I can quickly grasp how things can be used and I can connect dots really quickly, right? What I'm good at is vision, connecting dots, deal making, um, business development. Um, You know, I consider myself pretty decent at marketing and media. Um, So if you meet me and you're an engineer that just built something and you say, I have this thing and we meet in the gym or we meet on the paddle boards. Mm-hmm. That's the magic that can happen. And maybe we become partners like Pete and I did when we met through two other people um, because we didn't grow up together. We met through colleagues. Yep. Maybe, maybe that happens. Or maybe I just give you a really good piece of advice that's the game changer to, to your idea. Right, because no one's idea is perfect. So you have to be ready to to pivot off those ideas. Maybe that happens. Yeah. It's those types of accelerants that that I think that that I think really can make a difference in the community, um, and then that can turn into jobs. Really, yeah. I mean, if you look at the history of our company, you know, between between what we built at Digital Surgeons District. Some of the companies we've invested in um, or helped on the startup side, you know, we've easily created or had a hand in the creation of 150, 200 jobs mm-hmm. in 10 years. Um, and, and we're just getting started, really. You know, that's with two Two guys that started with five thousand dollars eleven years ago, and you know here we are, two hundred jobs later. Families are getting fed, taxes are getting paid, uh, and 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 we're just this small
0: little pocket inside of a pretty large place. So as digital surgeons grows, as uh, district grows, um, you know the natural progression I see is that a leader will slowly leave behind technical technical work and technical skills and start adopting leadership leadership skills and um this company i mean it has a lot of amazing energy and as you're saying it's going to be growing how has your development as a leader kind of changed the way that you see the work you used to do and the work that you you know are, are passing on to other people as they come into this company you know going from technical skills to leadership skills um it's different it's really different for for
1: us um I think some people are natural leaders and then some people have to study it. Um, for us, I think it's a, it's a bit of column A and a bit of, a bit of column B. Mm-hmm. And even with that, you're never perfect because people are changing constantly. Just as, just as much as technology and business is changing, people are changing just as fast. You know, that people often talk about, which I, it bothers me, quite frankly, millennials you know, the, the, and, and, and because it's a podcast, I should announce the fact that I threw the quotes up.
0: Quotes. <laughs> He's putting up air quotes. Right <laughs> air, now. air quotes. Air quotes that were
1: thrown <laughs> yeah. up. Um, the belief is that millennials are a certain way or believe in certain things or have certain expectations. You know, there's these stereotypes around people like that. I believe that's nonsense. I believe that everybody has issues, everybody has demands, everybody has. Wants and needs in different ways and shapes and forms and it's and they're evolving. It's really just an evolution of where we were, you know, granted My grandmother got, you know, who passed away a few years ago, you know, it's very different for her, right? This is a woman who grew up in the Great Depression who washed her Ziploc bags and refused until the day she died to buy a garbage bag garbage bags because she believed it was a waste of money, so she insisted on keeping the plastic bags that the supermarket would give her for her groceries and using a really small garbage bag, garbage container, filling that up and going to the garbage disposal, or to the garbage whatever, because she lived in a building, so we yeah, had like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a trash compactor or whatever, and she'd, she'd make a hundred trips. She'd make a hundred trips rather than just pay five bucks for a box of garbage bags, right? She's going to have different demands, wants, and needs than someone today growing up in the world who has Uber, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I think, you know, I I go to articulating your vision, articulating your values um, to your people, Helping them, empowering them to be the best at their craft mm-hmm. um, and to be the best leaders they can be and constantly reinforcing it and giving them information and being willing and being willing to or willing, being able to uh, admit when you're wrong, uh, embracing the changes that are happening. So we, we created values in our, in our company that we wrote up um, that really start with leadership, start with Pete and I. We, we looked at what's consistent between the two of us. Because we remember, we're yin and yang, right. but there's going to be consistencies. What are the consistent traits that the two of us have and the consistent values that the two of us have that we want in our people? Um, and then looking at those, um, and then looking at the the people that we have and empowering them to be leaders. I recently heard a quote, and I don't know who it was because I've got a terrible memory when it comes to names um, and being able to source stuff, but it said, A leader is not measured by the n- his number of followers, but his, the number of leaders he creates.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Something along those lines. You know, that really stuck out to me when I read that because I don't want a bunch of people to just look for me, look for the answers. I always tell people, every person that I hire, whether I meet with them, I always meet with people last before they get hired, or at least I used to. Um, If I don't, I tend to, everybody who works for for me, uh, I always tell them, as soon as I meet them for the first time, I tell them, talk to my assistant and get a breakfast on them on the books for 30 days out from their first day Mm -hmm. and in that 30 days i will often tell them there or during the interview the world is your oyster what you make of this job what you make of your career is up to you you can be as big as you want to be with us or without us right i want to empower you to do that because i believe that all boats rise with the tides so we're all trying to be successful. We're all trying to generate generational wealth for our, and take care of our families and take care, take care of the people that are nearest and dearest to our heart, whether that's uh, personal connections or uh, philanthropic uh, uh, opportunities or uh, passions, mm-hmm. I should say. I set that standard really early, and then that gives way to our values, which are to be curious, to... Uh, to embrace change, to be empathetic, to be disruptive, to really charge forward and and go for what you want, as opposed to sitting on your hands. If you like anybody who comes into this organization and sits on their hands, is going to be weeded out really, really quick. It's just it's just never going to happen. I can't imagine a business like right. that. And I think it's because of those things that more le- we have more people step up. Into leadership positions, we have more young people that are just incredible people um, than than you can than you'd imagine. So when people say oh, I've got these millennials and they're all needy and you know all they talk about is quality of life and
0: they just want bean bags, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and Poms, they want to bring their dogs to the
1: office and all that bullshit. You know, the um, it, it kind of sets the standard for that, and and, and it's the antithesis of that.
0: David, thank you so much for your time and for uh, being on the OPG Inspire podcast and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens in the future with District, thank you. New Haven, with your work. I wish you the best of luck.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. It's, it's great.
0: That was my interview with David Salinas, co-founder and partner at Digital Surgeons and one of the driving forces behind District New Haven. For more information on Digital Surgeons, please visit digitalsurgeons.com. And for more information on District New Haven, go over to districtnhv.com and explore what the future might hold. During my interview with David, I was particularly struck by his words on finding a skillful workforce to hire from. Too often, business owners will rely on old, washed-up techniques to find new talent, and they'll usually come up short. They'll stick to stereotypes and assumptions, many times overlooking a wealth of potential right under their noses. I believe that David's vision of creating a space based on collaboration, based on innovation and pure energy, is one that we should all strive for, no matter the challenge that is set before you. With that, that's it for our episode. Thank you so much for listening to OPG Inspire. This is Robert Roach, signing off.